Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good evening, saints. Uh, turn with me to the book of Esther. We'll be continuing in our Esther series, and this evening we will be in Esther chapter 2, verse 19 to 23. So we'll be finishing chapter 2 that we started off uh, last week. Well, before we get into the passage, uh, many of you know me for my love of board games. Um, recently, we were introduced or reintroduced to a game called Scruples. I'm not sure if you've heard of the game, but it, it's a moral game. So it's all about uh, giving scenarios and situations and predicting uh, what your friend or whoever you're playing with would do in this situation. So I have some of the questions from the game. One is, it's 4 a.m. and you're waiting at a red light. There's no other cars in sight. Would you go anyway? What do you think? Another one, your lecturer accidentally uploads the test with the memo. You know everyone else is going to make use of the memo. What would you do? Would you go and take a, take a quick look? In a parking lot, you, you accidentally scratch someone's car. The car's already so scratched, it's just another scratch. Are you going to leave a note? Another one, so those with, with, with kids, you're cleaning up and you find your teenager's diary. Huh. Are you going to read a page? Or, or more, more uh, relevant to our church, a friend has forgotten about a book that he loaned you a few years ago, and you really love this book and you can't find it in the store. Are you going to keep it or are you going to tell him? Well, these questions give us an idea of some moral situations and well, it's a bit tricky. We're not really sure what is right and what is wrong and you're very tempted to do what is wrong. And this gives us good insight into what our characters might have been feeling, at least in our, our passage this evening, our characters Mordecai and Esther, who we met uh, last week. Uh, they are continuing to, to navigate tricky circumstances as they're living in, as Jews in this pagan nation. And of course, this has much relevance for us as Christians uh, living in this world, as we looked at uh, last week. How do we engage with the world? Do we speak out about uh, what other people are doing? And how can we navigate being obedient to God, but also being obedient to the government and our employer, and being a good civil uh, citizen, uh, being uh, morally upright uh, to your immediate society? And really, most importantly, what we want to consider today is how do you handle tricky situations where right and wrong seem to have blurred lines and you're not really sure what to do? Well, if you're new to the Esther series, we are in Persia. So this is after the exile. Uh, all the Jews were carried off to uh, Babylon, which then became Persia. And then they were now, some of them went back. Some of them are now still in Persia. And King Xerxes is on the throne and he's extravagant, he's fulfilling his lusts. We've seen that he's uh, a, very, a king that is uh, just indulging in this world, right? He, 
had all the virgins of the land brought to him so that he could test them out to find a new queen. And then we see last week that Esther was chosen as the queen, and that's where we ended last week. So we're going to pick up in verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter. Verse 19 reads, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai, just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, uh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Well, let me pray for us before we get into the text. Uh, Lord, help us as we study this text, um, enlighten our eyes to understand the truth that you're teaching us from your holy and infallible inspired word. Oh God, won't you counsel us as we are navigating our life's circumstances amidst this world, in our workplace or on campus. Help us, O oh Lord, to make sense of what we need to do based on your word and the lessons we learn from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we have an account of a Jew who saves the, the Persian king's life. And it really is one of these uh, right place, right time sort of stories. And think about it, it's, it's worth the question, what would have you done? Imagine you, you, you're turning the corner and you, you hear these conversations. And remember, this is a wicked king who, who's just uh, conscripted all these girls to be brought to him, fulfilling his lusts. Amidst those girls was your cousin, right? So Mordecai is hearing this. So, so what would have you done? As you hear whispers of this assassination attempt, would you have joined in and shown your approval to, to become a threesome and say, what are we going to do with this king? Or would have you perhaps just remained silent? It would have been very easy, right, to have just kept silent. Uh, the king had it coming. Let me just let nature take its course. Or would you have uh, stood your ground and said no? Uh, done what Mordecai did here um, and, and reveal this assassination attempt uh, to the king. What would you do? Well, we're going to be considering this text in three parts. Uh, firstly, we're going to look at the contextual information that the author gives us. So that's verse 19 and 20 before the, the main event. So some contextual information. And then secondly, we're going to look at what actually happened, uh, what happened in this event. And thirdly, we're going to take a closer look and ask some questions of the text. Well, firstly, let, let's look at some contextual information. So we see in verse 19, the virgins are gathering again. And so this most probably would have been part of the celebrations as Esther has uh, now become queen. Um, and so they're gathering again, uh, still in the hype of this, this new event. And then we told that Mordecai is at the king's gate. And the author mentions this twice here. Look at verse 19 and then also at verse 21 that Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate. And we saw last week that for Mordecai to be sitting at the king's gate meant that he held some sort of position in the palace, that he was serving the king. The gate was where justice was decided, where business was dealt with. 
And so we, we're reminded of his status, that, that he is elevated, that he's holding this official position. And then in verse 20, we told for the second time in this chapter that Esther still hasn't spilled the beans of her Jewish identity, right? She's still living undercover, as it were. And so the, the author is continuing to, to mention that she's still a Jew, and she hasn't yet said anything uh, to anybody. And so we see that the reason that's given here is that she's obedient to Mordecai, right? It says that she's continuing to obey him as she did since she was a little girl. So we see something of the trust and respect uh, that she has for him. And this is important in this chapter because we see them act as a unit, right, to, to then save the king. But the fact that the author is mentioning that Esther's identity is hidden, it, it makes us realize that this is going to be a, a central point in the story. This is something that's going to become very important. And it's also a reminder of the context that Esther and Mordecai find themselves in, that they are Jews in Persia, and the confusion that can come with this. They, they're God's people in a nation that is an enemy of God. Their, their true citizenship is in Judah, you could say, but their current citizenship is in Persia. And, and this is very similar to us, right? Living as Christians in this world, right? They were living with two sets of laws, so are we. If, if you're a Christian, your citizenship is on earth, but your true citizenship is where? It's in heaven, right? So we have this dual citizenship. And, and can you remember this? When you were born again, you were taken from this world, and now we are no longer a citizen of earth, but we are a citizen of heaven. And if you remember this, our, our tastes change, our, our nature changes, we're born again, we're, we're a new citizen, uh, we are a stranger and an exile uh, in this world. And you, you, you could remember that you no longer love the things of this world, right? We, our tastes start to change, and now we start to hunger and thirst for something else that, that this world can no longer satisfy, and then we find Christ, right? And so, so although we're on this earth, we, we are part of another citizenship. And Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, a very important verse. Uh, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We mustn't be fooled by our current age. The, the world wages war against our soul. We ought to live amongst the Gentiles. Yes, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're living amongst the Gentiles, but we ought to do good so that others might see us and glorify God. And, and this was always God's design for his people, wasn't it? Ever since he called Abraham, right, it was that through Abraham's offspring, who shall be blessed? All nations of the earth, right? Israel was to be a people that was set apart to be a light unto the Gentiles. And likewise, we too, saints, we, we, we are called and we are saved, but think about it. The Lord doesn't save us and immediately take us to heaven. We're saved, but we kept on this earth. Have you ever asked yourself, why, why are we kept on this earth after we're saved? Is it so that we can learn a few more lessons before going home? Is it so we can have some fun? N not at all. Not at all. We kept in this world to be used by Christ as his disciples to minister the word to the world 
on his behalf, that he does this through us. We are his ambassadors. And we left here with a very clear mission and an objective to make disciples of all nations. Christ is our, our chief example of a man with two citizenships, isn't he? he? Although he was of heaven, he lived on earth in, in a perfect manner and he didn't compromise on the smallest dot or iota of the law. He did this to win a salvation for us all. As long as we're found to be here on earth in, in exile, may we be found to be faithful, even as we heard uh, Pastor Pumalelo preach this morning. May we be found to be cultivating a faithfulness in our life. Think about what that might look like for you, Saint, this week. Well, having looked at these contextual statements, I think um, they are really given us to get a full appreciation for the situation that our characters find themselves in. And then we get to this assassination attempt, this main event. So now we're going to look at what happened, and then we're going to take a closer look, and we're going to ask some questions about what happened. So what happened? Verse 21, uh, Bigthin and Teresh. Uh, Bigthin is a very strange name. Some people are big, some people are thin. He's Bigthin. Uh, so, so someone, someone says that the, the author, these names are actually given especially to, to, to sound strange so that we can remember that they're in this exile land. This, these names are not like theirs. Bigthin and Teresh, they become angry, and we, we don't know what made them angry. We don't know what sent them over the edge. But, I mean, you, you don't have to think hard. Imagine you were made to be a eunuch at a young age and, and ripped a, away from your family, all right? Um, I, I wouldn't exactly be the, the jolliest guy in the palace. But nevertheless, it wasn't uncommon in these empires for a king to, to make a ruling or to make a decision, uh, especially when he had this all authority, um, and for some people to, to get angry. Um, and so maybe that's uh, what happened here. We know that in, while this assassination attempt did, was not successful, when he does die, some, some 10 years down the line, does anyone want to guess how he, he died? an assassination attempt from someone, some officials in his palace, <laughs> right? The man had it coming, right? Imagine, he looks left and right before crossing a street, gets hit by a plane. <laughs> he had, maybe he should have read the book, Dale Carnegie's book, was it, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He clearly wasn't a, a popular man. Anyway, these eunuchs are angry and they're scheming and plotting in the corridors, right? The threshold there would be right close to his, his bedroom, in the threshold to his room and they're plotting to kill this king, King Xerxes. And Mordecai, only because of his close access to, to these private quarters, he hears the plot. And he doesn't skip a beat, does he? He goes uh, straight to Queen Esther to tell her what uh, he'd heard. And um, so, so remember we heard before that you couldn't actually see the king unless he called you by name. And so he just so happened to have someone on the inside. So he tells Esther, Esther has her access to the king, uh, of course, uh, she was queen, but right now she, she also found favor in his sight. And so she was the best one to deliver the message, and she does so, and she does so note there in the name of Mordecai. And so the king does some research. The, the uh, allegations appear to be true. The conspirators are hanged on the gallows. The king is saved. And look at this supposedly inconsequential sentence there at the end of verse 23. This was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Seems like a simple sentence, doesn't it? Well, we're going to come back to this. 
And then it may be a, a bit of an argument from silence here, but, but it's rather strange that this, this story ends without something having been done for Mordecai. Uh, in a culture such as this, if you saved the king, it would be a big thing, a great deal, and he'd be very heavily commended and, and decorated for such a contribution. And so the fact that nothing is mentioned here and that nothing is done for him, at least at this point, it's, it's very strange and it seems almost like an oversight of some sort. And again, we're going to come to this as we're going to dig deeper. But, but that's the, the plot of our story. And now I want to ask a few questions of the text. So, so two, two why questions and one who question. So first, why does Mordecai choose to save the king? I think this is a question that is very well worth our time. It's worth considering. Having seen the evils of this Gentile king, would it not have been easy for Mordecai to simply have overlooked the whole situation, kept quiet, remained silent, would be easy, and he could justify it, right? It wasn't him that was doing it. The world is a better place without this king, right? The world is better off if I just keep quiet and this king is put to death. Well, think of your own life, saints. I think we do this so often, and how easy is it to justify ourselves when we, we know that what we're wanting to do is wrong, but there's a reason we can come up with that somehow makes us feel justified. Isn't that true? Have you found that? When you, when you know that when you, what you're wanting to do is wrong, and our, our brain is so creative, we come up with three to five points of why you, know, you, can, you can feel good about it. Now, what about getting angry with your, your wife or husband or your mom or your dad or your friend or your sibling because they wronged you? Because this person said this to me, am I not justified to say something back? What about cheating on a test? because the lecturer didn't give you enough time to study. He told you on Wednesday, the test is on Friday. I mean, you know? Lying to your boss about being sick to take a day off because they overwork you, they underpay you anyway. Uh, speeding on the highway because you, you're running late for an appointment. And we're so creative, you'll even tell yourself, oh, but it's so important as a Christian to be punctual. So I need, I need to go 140 in this 120 zone, right? Or dating an unbeliever because he or she just seems, he seems so open, such a good heart, right? They, they seem like this woman is, is oh, she, she's a great woman. She's not a Christian, but she, she's a great woman. She's a Proverbs 32 woman, not 31 woman. But she's cl close enough. In all these cases, it doesn't matter what our, our mind can come up with. We must do what the word of God requires of us. And that's what Mordecai does. Mordecai knows that what is he overhearing? He's overhearing talks of murder. This is murder, right? The sixth commandment. And as a Jew, he knew the law, right? He knew that to take a man's life out of anger is murder. And his conscience was informed by the law. And so his conscience would have been telling him, do something. Don't remain silent. This is, this is on you. If you don't do anything, you are complicit in this murder. And so his, his conscience was informed by the law and he makes his decision uh, based on the law. And as a Christian, we, we have the full revelation of God's word, don't we? And on top of this, God's given us his word and he's given us his helper, his Holy Spirit, to be able to, to help us to, to, to decipher his word, to know how to act in these situations. We ought not to be those who, who constantly silence their conscience. As, we, as we, our conscience screams out, don't do that, that's wrong, and we silence it with, with justifications. Ah, oh, it's not that wrong because of this, or it's because of that. 
right? Every time we're overriding it, we're overriding it to say, ah, I know it's wrong, but ah, it's okay. Your conscience will become seared. Eventually, you, it won't even have that voice inside you anymore saying, don't do this or don't do that. It's an opportunity. Every time we hear, oh, that's wrong. That's an opportunity. Sin is crouching at the door, and we need to overcome it. Well, when faced with a difficult situation, and if you are currently in a difficult situation, maybe at work or on campus or in your relationships, here are some, some principles that we can remember. First things first, go to the scripture. Number one, go to the scripture. Go to all the clear texts that speak on the topic. And it's easy for us to be like, oh, I, know, I know what the text says. Go to it, read it, write it out. What would it require you to do in this situation? And if you feel that the decision is not uh, addressed by any one scripture, what are biblical principles? Number two, what are biblical principles that will speak into the situation, right? That speak to the topic. Take time to do, to do research beforehand, right? Don't just act and then say, oh, what should have I done? Do the research. Go look at uh, texts, and if not texts, just general principles that would work. And if you're still confused, three, go to a brother or sister in the church and seek counsel. Wise women and men who have probably experienced very similar situations to what you're going through. They could counsel you in the way to go, but, but you're just making a decision and then you're seeking counsel afterwards. God has given us this extreme blessing, saints. It really is a blessing. If you just look around to your left and to your right, the people that we have, especially the, the people who have walked the journey in front of you, make use of them. They've given us this, this multitude of counselors and we need, to, we need to not just do something in our own volition. That, that's, that's a sign of pride. And you might know someone like this, right? Whenever they come to you for counsel, it's always, ish, last year this happened and then, oh, last week this happened, what should I do? As opposed to someone who comes to you for counsel and says, next week I have an interview at this workplace or, or next week or next year I'm gonna be going to this you know, area, do you know of a church, right? Seeking counsel ahead of time. That's a sign of humility. Well, Mordecai acts according to the scriptures and he prevents this murder from, from taking place. And not only was this his duty from a moral perspective, this was his duty from a civil perspective, right? This was uh, why he was employed. He was employed to serve and protect. This was his, his job, right? And so in one sense, the king was his employer. He was serving his employer well. And we told Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 6, and if you are struggling in the workplace, this is, this is a text that you should not tattoo, but, but definitely put it up on your wall. <laughs> it says, obey your masters, Ephesians 6, verse 5. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Hear this, as you would Christ. Obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. As long as what your employer is asking of you is not directly opposed to the will of God, we ought to serve them. And that doesn't matter if, if it's a bad boss. That's just another justification. Even if it's a bad boss, we ought to serve them, Paul says, as if we were serving Christ. Imagine, imagine serving Christ if he asked you to get him a cup of coffee. You wouldn't just get rick coffee, guys. You wouldn't. You'd go and find the, the, the most expensive cup, right? You'd, you'd serve with the best quality. That's how we should be serving our companies, our employer, 
right? And that's, that's a quality of work, students, we should be putting into our studies. Are we doing everything from the heart? So, so Mordecai does what he, what he deems fit to do in the situation. Does he receive a war, reward? No, he doesn't. Okay, that's our next question. So we looked at why did he save the king? Now we're going to look at uh, why was Mordecai not rewarded here? And it's certainly a good question to ask. It's certainly a question that Mordecai would have had, right? He, he hears the talk of treason. He escalates the issue. The, the matter's evaluated. And he was proven to be right, right? Exactly what he said. Uh, that can, comes true. And, I mean, it gets written down, but, but Mordecai probably thought, you know, he was probably expecting his own banquet in typical fashion of this king. You know, he thought he was going to get Mordecai's banquet, but he's like, at least, at least the king gives me a shout out in his diary. We, we're really not told why he's not rewarded, um, but it does seem like an oversight. And it might have just been simply that the king in his panic heard of this, this threat and he went and he, he dealt with the situation. He forgot who it was that actually found out about it. But, but think of your own life, saints. Um, have you ever done the right thing and it's not rewarded? Have you ever thought about the situation? It was difficult, but you did what was right, and then nada, nothing happened. Imagine someone who's tirelessly working at their job, right? And then the guy next door, the guy next to him gets the promotion. Or if you're in a group project and you're doing 90% of the work, and then no one even gives you any mention. <laughs> Right, you just counted a, a month a lot. Or what about, this is a nice situation, what about when you, you're slaving away, there's a mountain of dishes at home, you're slaving away with these dishes. It takes you an hour and a half. It's not just any dishes, you see those pans, that you, you need the skirpot to, to, to properly clean this pan. This mount, the dishes are done, they're finally clean. Now, now you're like, oh, I can't wait for my spouse or my roommate to get home, they're gonna be, they're gonna be so happy. Spouse gets home. They're like, why is there water on the floor? The trash is not taken, has supper been started? Right? How do you feel in such a circumstance? It's so easy to feel angry, right? To feel, I deserve recognition. It's a good indicator of our heart in such situations, right? To, to not receive an acknowledgement and then when we feel upset, it shows if the main reason you're doing something is to receive a reward, what does our Lord Jesus say? You've received your reward in full, right? But if we're doing good, it doesn't matter if someone rewards us or not. If we're doing good and we're not seen, the Lord sees us in secret and he will reward us. Let that be an encouragement to you, saints, as you're faithfully doing what is right uh, and in amongst the world, when you, maybe you feel you're underpaid, continue to, to do work to the, the best quality, the best of your ability. When someone's unkind to you, show them love. But when you're, feeling, when you're feeling you just get dealt a, a harsh hand in life, that doesn't give us an opportunity to break away from, from the Lord, does it? Uh, a text that is, is very close to me, and I think a text that we should all, we should all memorize if you haven't already, is, is Hebrews 12, verse 3. Uh, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. It's talking about Christ. Consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Right? Consider him. And it says, you, you haven't even endured to the point of shedding your blood. But consider him. Well, let's con continue striving to do what's right. Whether we acknowledge or not, our Heavenly Father will reward us because he sees us. And a final question, probably the most important question, who is the hero in this story? Is it Esther? All in favor of Esther, all in favor of Mordecai. 
Maybe someone took the team of Big Thin, Big Thin and Teresh. Who, who's the hero? Well, one commentator says of Mordecai and Esther, they may be heroes, but they are at best heroes of questionable morality and orthodoxy. We've already seen that the, these two are far from innocent. And, and while they, they certainly play their role, we can't help but notice the hero, right? The, the hand, the divine hand, ordering all the events behind the scenes. As many have said, and we, what we already mentioned, although uh, the book of Esther may not have God's name in it, it has God's fingerprints all over. Alistair Begg says of, of Esther, and I think it applies to a lot of narratives, especially in the Old Testament, he says, if you're trying to find a hero within the human characters, you'll end up simply moralizing the text. Do this or don't do this. But until you recognize that God is the true hero in the story, you're going to miss the point. And as we zoom out in the story, we see all the events that have happened, right? So far from, from Xerxes, King Xerxes' feasts to, to Vashti's refusal to the king, king's wife hunt with, with all of these beautiful girls, these hundreds of girls being chosen, and Esther being elevated above them all to become queen. And then we see, we see all the time Mordecai is climbing up in this Persian ladder, right? As this Jew in this ladder. So that he could be there at the right place in the right time to overhear this conversation, and he just so happens to have the right person on the inside, his cousin, to then tell him to go and save the king. Right? And so certainly we can see God's hand is present. He's the hero here. Right? But, but why is all of this happening? Be because we can see clearly, clearly this is God's providence. He's using these two Jews to save this king's life. But is that all the book of Esther is about, about the king in Persia? There must be something more, right? There must be something more. This is a story in the Bible. What does this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with Christ? Right? The, the big story of redemption. And some people haven't paid much attention to the book of Esther. Even John Calvin, he, he never wrote any commentary on the book of Esther. Uh, even Martin Luther had, had some feelings to, towards the book. Right? They had some skepticism. But, but as we study this, we're going to see this is extremely worthy of our time, this book. And, and although this saving of the king, this is just the first event, in the following chapters, we're going to see how God uses these same two characters, Mordecai and Esther, to not only save the king of Persia, but to save the whole Jewish race on the brink of genocide. If you haven't read the book, I'm sorry, that was a spoiler. Um, we're going to see that, that God uses these two people to save the Jews, right? And we know that with the Jews resides his seed, okay? Right from Genesis 3, do you remember? There's a promise given to, the Eve, to, to Eve that her seed, her offspring, is going to crush the serpent's head. And we know that this is referring to the coming Messiah, the Savior, the one who reverses the curse, who came, is Jesus Christ. So we're going to see as we continue in Esther that, that in this distant land, there's to be a plot to put to death all the Jews that exist, every last one, including the future seed. And we're going to see how, how these two Jews that God placed there fulfill his mission to preserve his people and to preserve his seed and to preserve the gospel that you and I know today. And you, know, you want to know what the, the best part is of everything, the cherry on top? Remember that inconsequential sentence that we looked at? Let's look at it again, verse 23. The inconsequential sentence. This was written down in the book, in the presence of the king. That is what God uses to bring it all about. 
That's what he uses. This, this little story of Mordecai saving the king will come back into the story later on. And God's going to use this to save his people. Saints, let me encourage you, as you go about your life, what, what may seem inconsequential to you is actually a providential thread in the fabric of God's plan, weaving together to fulfill his greater purpose. And maybe you're in a situation where you can't actually understand everything that's happening. You don't know why it's happening. You don't know why God has allowed this. Well, take comfort from this story before us, that even in a, in a distant land, God is working. Not one sparrow, says Christ, falls to the ground without his knowledge, outside of the Father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered, saints. If you're struggling to make sense of difficult times in your life, I want you to remember four things. Four things to remember if you're struggling. One, God knows. God knows about the situation. Two, not only does God know, he allowed it. He allowed it to take place. Not only that, three, God purposed it. He's in control. He purposed it for his glory and for your good, if you call according to his purpose. And four, that God loves you and cares for you and will ensure that he provides the means for you to be able to endure whatever situation that you're going through. Well, here's a verse that I learned to treasure a while ago that I really, I hold it in my pocket in every trial. It's, it's, it's Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you doubting God's love for you? Look to the cross. That's the greatest display of God's love for you. He absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. From noon until 3 p.m., there was darkness over the land as, as Jesus drank every drop of the bitter wrath of God for his redeemed people, for you, Saint. Trust in this God who has shown his love for you. Our text today spoke of a, a man who saved the king. And I, I want to remind you this evening of the king who saved man, our Lord Jesus Christ. As you're navigating the, the tricky circumstances of, of life, living as a Christian in the world, meditate on his word, go to his word, and trust in his sovereignty. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to your word, O Lord. Uh, in it, you give us all things pertaining to life and godliness. O Lord, we are so grateful that you have not left us alone you've left us with a counselor, you've left us with a helper. Oh God, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for giving us your mission to fulfill, oh Lord, to make disciples of all nations, Lord, as we continue in this world until you come back, oh Lord Jesus Christ, may we be found faithful, oh Lord, may we be found to be those who are pursuing Christ-likeness and who are bringing many into the fold. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.